So I, I'm Rabbi Jeffrey Sachs of Atid and Web Yeshiva, Rabbi Bravin's organization. And like I mentioned, he was uh, meant to be here. Uh, and, uh, and his return, his delayed return from, from Los Angeles this afternoon. There's what? Oh, there's two different sheets. There's two different sheets. Yeah. One is double-sided, one is single-sided. Um, so, uh, so I'm here in a pinch. I apologize for that. And I promise you that he'll be here next week. Um, this being our inaugural shear in our new location here at Yakar, let me just say a word of thanks to the folks here at Yakar for opening up uh, the Beit Midrash, the Beit Knesset, the Center for Creativity that Yakar is and has been for many years uh, to Rabbi Bravinder's Shior and a particular word of thanks to to, uh, to Rabbanit Gila Rosen uh, who's such an important figure here and in Yerushalayim um, so to thank them for their uh, hospitality in, in hosting us here and I hope it will be the beginning of a, of a long relationship the Shior has been going on now for quite a number of years in different locations throughout Yerushalayim it's always interesting that when we move from couple blocks away to a different couple blocks away you see some new faces so if any of you are new uh, to the shear at the bottom of the at the bottom of the sheet you can go to that website and sign up uh, to get the the source sheets in advance or in the odd event that the shear is canceled or something we send out a we send out a note so it's worth signing up for the emails so that uh, you can know what's uh, what's going on but again in principle Rabbi Bravender will be here and he'll be back hopefully hopefully next week I had thought to learn a little something about a Kedat Yitzchak. You can't be a Jewish educator worth your salt, ask to give a Parsha Shir in a pinch for Parsha Veira and, and not have something to say about a Kedat Yitzchak. Uh, so I thought <coughs> we would learn something about a Kedat Yitzchak. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that uh, what I'm about to learn with you now is something that I learned probably around 25 years ago when I was a student at Yeshiva University, I took a course on Sefer Eov with Rabbi Shalom Karmi. Um, the chulent, which, become which becomes memory, or the memory, rather, which becomes chulent, gets mixed up, and you're not always sure. You can't pick apart you know, where you learned something, where you picked something up. So to whatever degree these ideas are his, um, and I'm pretty sure at least the sources are his, um, uh, so I, I owe it, I owe it uh, to him. Uh, Akedat Yitzchak, of course, is, is the centerpiece of, of this week's parasha. In some ways, it's the centerpiece of, of Sefer Breshit, the centerpiece, of, um, the centerpiece of the life of Avram Avinu, uh, the a turning point in the, in the foundational stories of, of our people. But it's a very difficult story. God tests Abraham. He calls out to him, and Abraham answers the call. Take your son, your only son, the one you love, to the land of Moriah, which Chazal understand to be Harabayat, not far from here, and offer him up there as a sacrifice. Chick-chack, gets up, ready to go. Goes off on the three-day march. The question of what and why HaKadosh Baruch Hu would want or need or require such a test is, of course, an important question. The idea of a test, the idea of a nisayon, implies what? What's the problem with God testing Avram? He's not sure if he's worthy of... Yeah, and as it, it implies that, that there's something that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't know. This is a major philosophical question. Anybody that spent 10 minutes with their feet in the pool of Jewish philosophy knows this is a major question about how, do, how does, what is the nature of God's knowledge 
And what does it mean that there might be something that God doesn't know, that God needs to perform a test? Right? Your, uh, your line of work, Dr. Feinerman. You do tests all the time. Right? We come to you guys, and you poke us and prod us, and you send us off, and that's those hafnayotar. And we go off to, to the kupa, and they poke us and prod us more, and they take out the blood, and they... Who knows what else they do? And the purpose of all of that is for you to find out something you didn't know. That's what a test is. I have to go. Or to confirm something that I do know. No, it confirms something that you guessed, but in the absence of evidence. So you don't know. You don't know it until until you have evidence. Before the proof, it's a it's an assumption. It's a guess. It's a hypothesis. It's which is precisely why this is a major philosophical question. Depends on how you translate the word nisa. It's true, it depends on how you translate the word nisa, but according to our conventional understanding, it's some kind of, some kind of test. But that, sir, is exactly the, the work that the Meforshim are now going to get into. Rashi says, the second Rashi, Kiata, um, That the Satan, that Satan had kind of, he and the Kaddish Baruch were talking around the water cooler about this Abraham guy, what his qualities are. The Satan is accusing Avraham of uh, not worshipping properly. After all, for a long time, Avraham Avinu had no children. This was a major test of his emunah, that he had no heir. When he finally has a son, Yishmoel, it's not exactly the son he had been he had been hoping for. And now finally in his in his in his ripe old age, Yitzchak comes along. God says, Okay, now that you have him, now that everything is set, offer him up as a sacrifice. So the Satan says you know, maybe all of his service of God was just to get the desired result. God says, no, it's not true. Were I to tell him, you know, the equivalent of commit suicide, right? Worse than commit suicide, killing his son, right? Commit suicide meaning put an end to this whole operation of, of making, making the Jewish people. So he, would, so he would do it. What does this remind you of? Conversation with the Satan, what, what does it remind you of? The Chazal that Rashi, the Chazal that Rashi are quoting are no doubt working off of our knowledge of Sefer Eov. The Satan makes a similar claim against this righteous man and God says not true, so we're going to test him, we're going to, we're going to send him all of the prevails and see what happens. At the end of the Akedah, when at the last moment the knife is at his throat, we all remember the Rembrandt painting. Vayomer al tishlach yad elanar, ki yadati, now I know, don't do a thing to him. Don't even give him a little nick. Because now I know, ki yadati, ki elokim ata. Now I know you have fear of God. And now Rashi says in Pasuk Yudbet, So what does it mean, now I know? That's the philosophical problem. Right? What, what does it mean? A minute ago, beforehand, there's something in the Kaddish Baruch who didn't know? So what does it mean, now I know? He says, now I have the evidence that I can answer the Satan. It's not that I didn't know, but it's that the Satan didn't know. So now we have the proof to quiet the Satan. This is Rashi's answer, which we'll come back to momentarily. The Ramban, the Ramban says, 
God tests Abraham. Free will, foundational belief of Judaism. You know, it's an interesting question. The Rambam, Maimonides, does not count free will as one of his principles of faith. Even though it's a foundational belief. Where is free will in the Rambam's list of required beliefs? So it's possible that since the Rambam has as one of his principles of belief the idea of onesh, reward and punishment. Implicit in reward and punishment is belief in free will. Because if there was no free will, reward and punishment would be meaningless. Reward and punishment only being accountable for your actions are only is only only as only makes sense in a world where you have choice. If you do the right thing, you get reward. If you choose to do the wrong thing, then you're liable to punishment. But that's something only for those that have free will. If we really were all deterministic animals just following some kind of pre-programmed nature, reward and punishment would be meaningless. What we do or what our children do, you know, I have a little kid at home. So like all little kids, he's got these little toy dinosaurs, right? So who's the bad guy? Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's right there in his name. He's a, he's a tyrant. Tyrannosaurus Rex. Right? And who's the good guy? The one they used to, when I was a kid, the one they used to call the Brontosaurus. Now I think he has a different name. Because he eats the plants. And there's the, you know, they play, you know, the kids play, and there's the Brontosaurus eating the plastic leaves, singing a song, happy as can be. And along comes Tyrannosaurus Rex and chops off his head. Ah! Because this is the good guy and this is the bad guy. This is ridiculous. Tyrannosaurus Rex is not the bad guy. If you're watching the National Geographic, right, the lion that goes and kills the antelope and eats him up for lunch is not a bad guy. What is he? He's a lion. Someone that takes a van and goes driving into a crowd of pedestrians and kills a baby, that's a bad guy. A lion that goes running into the crowd of antelope and kills an antelope is a lion. That's what lions are programmed to do. It's irrelevant to, to do that kind of anthropomorphizing of our values onto a species that has no free will because it's just programmed to hunt. You can't talk about good and bad, reward and punishment with Tyrannosaurus rex or with lions or etc. But with human beings who have free will, it's, and that's why we have a system of reward, of reward and punishment. So the Ramban, that's the Ramban. The Ramban says, since there is free will, im yitzeh yaseh, ve'im lo yitzeh, lo yaseh, yikra nisayon. A nisayon is when there's a choice. What could Avram Avinu have done? He could have said, Thank you, Akadosh Baruch Hu. Been nice knowing you since since Lech Lecha, but I'm out of here. Because because there's free will. Yikret niseon mitzar haminuse. The tested is the one for whom it's a test, not for the tester. The tester sometimes knows the result. And the point of the test is for he who is tested. The tester, the proctor of the test, God, So why would a Kaddish Baruch Hu put Avram through this test? For Avraham's benefit. Avram is being tested so that Avraham will know what his potential is. So that it shouldn't remain mere, it shouldn't remain mere uh, lev tov bilva, good intentions. Right? It shouldn't remain just on the level of 
of potential, right? But good intentions are only as good as, as the actions, right? Putting it into, putting it into action. Yes, sir. I would even strengthen the question, and I would say, here's Abraham, the guy who discovers Elohim, right? Or makes contact. When it comes time to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, he actively argues with Hashem, Drifty, yeah, yeah, yeah. all the way down. When it comes to his only son. son. Oh, yeah, sure. Because, uh, give him up, sure, sacrifice him. Why? That says something about Abraham, doesn't it? It does. It what does say something about well, in other words, Avram wasn't commanded to go and destroy stone. Kaddish Baruch Hu decides that he's going to destroy stone. And he tells Avram, oh, by the way, this is what I'm doing today. What are you up to? And Avram says, what I'm up to is I'm going to go out and try to save stone. Why? Because he was one that, as the Pesukim say, that he felt that the destruction of stone had a potential to act against the common agenda that he and God were out to do. And he didn't have the feeling that the same agenda could be compromised by him killing his own son? Because, who's only heir? because when it comes to the Akedah, he himself was, he received the command. The command was to do this. But it's, a, it's an immoral command, and he says he should have to follow an immoral command from someone who's supposed to be So that's, so the Ramban says there's free will. But Avram Avinu apparently felt, Avram Avinu apparently felt that if commanded to do so, so he sets off to fulfill the command with faith that somehow it will work out with whatever it is. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that before argue, the end. He can argue it, he but, and he doesn't, because once you're once you're commanded, Avram Avinu understands the 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 task of the commanded one is to is to fulfill the command, which was not his role in the stone story. The stone story, he's meant to be a bystander. Kaddish Baruch Hu tells him, this is what I'm off to okay, do. let's take another, another, another fun on it. Abraham uh, is supposed to inherit all of Eretz Canaan for you and your children. He says to God, but I don't have any children. Ishmael aside for the moment. Uh, and so he says, okay, you're going to have a son soon, and he's going to be the one. Now, Abraham is so keen on uh, fulfilling the cosmic uh, plan. plan of God. Right. It, said, it should be a stira. You give me a son who's supposed to inherit all this, and now you're going to take him away from me? What's going on? Ah, so, Ask an explanation. So, so Rabbi Soloveitchik actually raises that precise question in the, uh, in the uh, halachic man. This is, this is the concept of You have two contradictory verses. You have two contradictory commands or promises from God. Through your child, you'll be the father of great nations and they'll inherit the land, etc. Versus slaughter. They, they can't coincide. So the act of faith was not that he was prepared to slaughter his son. The act of faith was that he understood that it can't be that God is going to contradict himself. And that if it appears now, at this moment, as a contradiction to me, I have to wait the katuv hashlishi ha-machriya b'nehem, the third resolving verse that will bring it into, into, into order, which is, which is what the command of al tishlach yad kalanar is. Also, it doesn't, this doesn't sit right, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. Not, only that, not only the thing of Abraham and his son and the supposed Yoesh of the promise from Elohim, that's one, and that's a strong point in and of itself. Hashem is asking Abraham to do what the worst Goyim do. Okay, these are all important and interesting questions, but it's not what I've come to discuss tonight. But I, isn't what you've come to discuss have to do with where questions arise as well, as opposed to yes. what Yes, yes. But I'd like to first see what Rashi, the Ramban, the Rambam, and the Nitzvah have to say. Okay. And then we'll see uh, as we move along. Um, so for the Ramban, for the Ramban, the point of the test is to somehow improve or elevate the tested, the tested one, the testee, by activating his potential into, from, from potential into, into action. Um, 
uh, in a different way, in a related question, related philosophical question of, of why do the righteous suffer and what is the purpose of pain and suffering in the world. As we live in a world where pain and suffering seem to be built into our existence. Um, it's an interesting idea that God designed the world that it should be thus. Uh, the, the Christian theologian, thinker, writer, C.S. Lewis, you know, dedicated a number of books to this topic. I mean, we know him from the Narnia books. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. No. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yes, you know. You don't know the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Yeah, I do. You've never heard of Narnia? That's <laughs> <laughs> me. Speak, you know. You pull my leg. You pull my leg. Okay. Um, uh, uh, but he was also a he was also a a, a fairly well known popular writer on, on on religious themes. So he's got a book called I think it's in his book called on the problem of pain. Right. In other words, how how could a just God create a world with? Uh, with pain and suffering. So he's got this metaphor he talks about, um, about the, the chisel blows of the sculptor. Right? In other words, we are like the unformed uh, uh, block of, of granite. And the, the hammer blows, the chisel blows uh, of the sculptor, which brings out, you know, inside that block of granite is Michelangelo's David. Right, is some great perf perfect work of art, the thinker, whatever it is. But in order to get it, that you have to chisel away at all the parts of the rock that you don't want. And that idea that the suffering, now again, the case of Avram, it's a test. It's not suffering in the same way as somebody who, who goes through some kind of uh, somebody who, who although presumably is, is, is a form of suffering. If they told you you have to sacrifice your son in the moment, yes, yes, yes. I, okay, so I'm. I'm I, I just admitted that it, it is a form of suffering. That the test itself is a form of suffering. Um, uh, that that, that, the, that the, the hammer blows, which hurt us so much, are what make us perfect, are what, are what brings out the, the hidden magnificence of the perfect sculpture inside. I mean, it's a different way of expressing the idea, Le Havdil, between C.S. Lewis and, uh, and, uh, and the Ramban. Now, the Ramban... In the Mornavuchim, which is on the back of the page, the Rambam has a different tack. And he says, the doctrine of trials, nisyonot, <coughs> the idea that God has to test in order to determine something, is open to great objections. The same philosophical problem that I, I put forth a moment ago. It is, in fact, more exposed to objections than the other than any other thing taught in scripture. Right? The most, Rambam says, like the most problematic philosophical, in the philosophy of religion, this idea that God might need to test something, put someone to the test in order to know something because of this problem of squaring the idea that God knows everything with the idea that he might need to perform a test in order to determine something. The sole object of all the trials mentioned in, in scripture is to teach man what he ought to do or believe so that the event which forms the actual trial is not the end desired. It is but an example for our instruction and guidance. Hence the words, to know, ladaat, whether ye love, etc., do not mean that God desires to know whether the Jewish people loved God. He already knows it. But ladaat, to know, has here the same meaning as in the phrase, to know, ladaat, that I am the Lord, that all nations shall know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now he explains it in, in a little, little better detail by using the example of Akedat Yitzchak. Akedat Yitzchak, that Avram Avinu binds his son, including two, includes two great ideas or principles of our faith. First, it shows us the extent and limit of the fear of God. Avram is commanded to perform a certain act, which is not equaled by any surrender of property or by any sacrifice of life. For it surpasses everything that can be done and belongs to the class of actions which are believed to be contrary to human feelings. Right? It contradicts every single thing. It's not like asking him to sacrifice any piece of property. It's not like it's, it's even, it goes even beyond the normal revulsion 
the impossible task, the, you remember Sophie's choice, right? The impossibility of, of having to sacrifice your child because it's not in the case, in this case of sacrificing Yitzchak, not only is it sacrificing the child, which would be impossible enough for any parent, but piggybacked on top of that is the larger, larger, who's to say what's larger, is the additional challenge of this flies in the face of the promise that you, God, made. You're con- God, you're contradicting yourself. He had been without a child and had been longing for a child. He had great riches and was expecting that a nation should spring from a seed. After all, after, uh, after all hope of a son had already been given up, a son was born to him. How great must have been his delight in the child. How intensely must he have loved him. And yet, because he feared God and loved to do what God commanded, he thought little of that beloved child and set aside all his hopes concerning him and consented to kill him after a journey of three days. If the act by which he showed his readiness to kill his son had taken place immediately, God puts the knife in his hand and says, do it now. That's not what happens. God tells him, do it, but take your time doing it. Right? Take 72 hours to get it done. Right, you know, like, uh, like we have here, like what's his name? Uh, 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 Gidon Sar just resigned from the Knesset. So there's this like, law here that when you resign from the Knesset, the, the resignation only goes into effect after 24 hours. Right? Because they, they don't want that you should you know, just go and, uh, and hasty, hastily do something out of anger. Right? By the way, the same thing in Batei Din Shin, Right? When people go to get divorced... It's that you can't get like a divorce on to me. It's not like you go you, like you go to Reno and just get a quickie divorce. Right, because because we don't want because people sometimes in the heat of the moment in the heat of anger we want people to do, do things out of a, with a little uh, a little shikul dat. But Hakadosh Baruch Hu, part of the test, part of the test of the Akedah is those three long days walking up to Haramoria. He had to be thinking what's going on. Forget it. Forget for a second what Yitzchak knew or what Yitzchak didn't know. That's a whole different shear. Right? Because after all, it's the, we talk about it being the test of Avraham when it's really poor Yitzchak that has his, his neck to the knife. Right? But the test in terms of this illogical, this contradictory command is a test to Avraham. If the act by which he showed his readiness to kill his son had taken place immediately when he received the commandment, it might have been the result of a confusion and not of consideration. Right? He might have just like, in the heat of the moment, and then lived to regret it. But the fact that he performed it three days after he received the commandment proves the, def- proves the presence of thought, proper consideration, careful examination of what is due to the divine command and what is in accordance with the love and fear of God. There is... I don't know if I buy this theory. Uh, okay, let's finish. Uh, yeah. Very simply, because one, God didn't give him three days. Sit and think about it, and, and tell me if you're still willing to do it. In three. It wasn't that. It was obvious. It was actually something very different. He was saying, go to a special spot, right? Arhamoria, which is very special to God. He's saying, I don't want you to commit this act here. I want you to go to this special place to do this. Now, one of the consequences of having to go to this special place, whereas the, the Midrash you're reading tends to sound like a chance to think about it and be cool and, 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 and look at it from the opposite. It's a chance to suffer for three days knowing that he has to do this horrible deed because the God that he loves or has found has asked him to do this horrible thing and he's going to do it. And he has three days to live with his conscience. But he also has three days to back out. That's right. During those three days he's thinking also. You don't just say, I'm going to go and kill someone. At the end of the day he has free will. At the end of the day had Avram Avinu said no thank you. Then he would have not gone through with it. Where did he say this? He tells him. If he would have yeah. He had free will to say, to tell God, buzz off. I'm not sure that God really expects free will to be as free as we say. For example, uh, when God gives us the Ten Commandments on Har Sinai, the Medrash comes and says, it's true. if you accept it, the Medrash is going to fall on it. I don't call that free will. But that is not the case in the Akedah. 
What is the case in your case? In your case, in your case, he tells me to do something, and Avram Avinu accepts it as a command. But Avram Avinu could have also chosen not to. But the but the but you. I, I'm sorry, sir. What's your name? Alan. Alan. So you disagree with the Rambam. That's okay. That's fine. But right now, I'm going to finish reading the Rambam. Okay. There is no necessity to look for the presence of any other idea or anything that might have affected his emotions. For Avram did not hasten to kill Isaac out of fear that God might slay him or make him poor, but solely because it is man's duty to love and fear God, meaning to follow the command, even without hope of reward or fear of punishment. We've repeatedly explained this. The angel therefore tells him, Ki atayadati, now I know. Now I know. Ki atayadati, ki kimata. That is, from this action for which you deserve to be truly called a God-fearing man, all people shall learn how far must we go in the fear of God. This idea is confirmed in Scripture. It is distinctly stated that one sole thing, fear of God, is the object of the whole law, etc., etc., so that the point of, the point of, and then he tells you the second, the second purpose of the Akedah is to show that the Nevi'im actually believed in the Nevu'ah. But that's not our, our topic now. And then in the final paragraph here, the Rambam says, this is the way how we have to understand the accounts of trials, of Nisyanot. We must not think that God desires to examine us and to try us in order to know what he did not know before. Far is this from him. He is far above that which ignorant and foolish people imagine concerning him, is the evil of the thoughts. Note this. So the point of the Akedah is... Not that there's something that God didn't know, but ki ata, not ki ata yadati, ela ki ata hodati. Right? Now we have made it known. For the Ramban al HaTorah, for the Ramban al HaTorah, the point of a test is for the tester to understand what his potentials are. For the Ramban, the testi, the testi. For the, Rambam, for the Rambam in the Mornevuchim, it's to make known to the world some kind of principle, to establish what the parameters of, in this case, when we're starting this new religion, a religion, a religion of law, a religion of mitzvot, what it means to be a lover and fearer of God. Lover and, love and fear, these terms that the Rambam throws around, Ahava and Yira, the two kind of uh, poles of emotions around which we organize the relationship to God as commanded beings, means to be mitzuvim, that we do mitzvot, that we are commanded, and as part of the command, we fulfill the mitzvot. I'll come back to that as well momentarily. But the point of the test is to make an announcement, to be a, a megaphone to the world as to what it means to be, to be an Evet Hashem. Even though, of course, in the end, it turns out that God didn't want Avraham to sacrifice Yitzchak, and he stops the test. I, w- I would say he stops it before it's over, because at the point that Avraham is prepared to do so, the point has been proven, right? that, that we follow the word of God. Now, fortunately, fortunately or, or, or not, we don't, we, don't, we don't get these kinds of commands. I mean, fortunately, we don't get these commands to kill our children. Uh, unfortunately, we're cut off a little bit from direct communication with God. Uh, but uh, and we have mitzvot, those mitzvot are kind of written in the Torah, and we know, we know what they are, and we have enough, hard enough time with them as it is. Uh, in, in time of it was still a work in progress. So until that third resolving verse comes to say, don't do this, we don't want you to kill your son, he's going with the flow, he's prepared to do what he does, and that willingness is the yodati. now I know, means now we have made known. It's not the pshat and the pasuk. Right? The, the Rambam says that's the meaning of the, of the Akedah. That's the meaning of the Akedah, even though it runs contrary to the, to the, to the literal reading of the Pasuk. Yes, sir, you want to... Come back to what I said earlier, the word Nisa is from the word also Nase, which oh. is abandoned. 
We're, we're about to come to that. We're about to come to that. So, it's, so according to the Ramban, Nisayon means... Well, it means, to, it means to show the testi. According to the Rambam, the word Nisayon means to, to, to make something known in the world. To make something known in the world. Now, there's another comment of the Ramban elsewhere. It runs a little, a little contradictory, uh, uh, or it's maybe just another take. The Ramban has an important work called the, Shar, the Torah Adam. The Torah Adam. I'm sorry, I wasn't able to, to cut and paste it onto the sheet. Um, the Torah Adam. It's a work that deals with, uh, principally with Avelut, uh, the laws of mourning, but it also uh, also deals with death, the Jewish Jewish notion of death and dying and the afterworld and all those kinds of things. And there's a section there called the Shar HaGmul, which also deals with these questions of, of reward, reward and punishment. And the Ramban says something like this, that when people are put to the test, when you're challenged, there are two ways that you usually, or there, maybe there are three options. One is you fail the test. It happens all the time. But people who pass the tests that are, that are put to them, people, that, people that, that do that, there's, there's one of two ways that you can do that. It can either be out of desperation. And sometimes you, you rise to the moment out of desperation. You know, that's the old, uh, the old Sahal uh, anthem of, uh, of uh, Ein Brera, right? We have to win the battle because we have no choice. <laughs> the, 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 uh, the option of losing the battle is too impossible to think of, so, so let's not lose the battle. We just, we just have to win. That's the only thing to do. Right? Sometimes out of desperation, you can rise to, you can rise to great things. And there are all these stories about uh, you know, people that are caught in, in very bad situations and they, they do things... Um, uh, that are, I mean, even science can't explain, you know, uh, stories of, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, cars go uh, tipping off the road, tumble down into the ravine, the kids are trapped under the car, and, the, you know, the parents somehow, like, you know, lifts the car, you know, does some kind of, like, superhero, Superman kind of, <coughs> kind of thing, you know, to save you. There's no way to explain it. There's no way to explain it. I mean, maybe science is saying, no, like, there's, like, we have these... Uh, I'm mindful whenever I say things about science that I don't know when there are like, you know, doctors in the audience who actually do know these things. But as the science says, like, we have these uh, adrenaline, we have these reserves of adrenaline that we can't normally tap, and when you're very desperate, you can, right? They say things like that, yes? But um, however it's explained, or it's not explained, what's important is that, there, the, you know, sometimes in desperation, you're capable of something. The other time, I'll come to you in a second, the other time... The other way to succeed is, is not through, is not through def- desperation, but through confidence, through a sense of your abilities, through knowing you can accomplish something. It's hard, right? In both cases, it's an iseo, because you've never been faced with this. But we all know that we're capable of doing certain things. We just haven't yet come to that. Right? But we know that there are certain challenges that we're each going to face, that we're each going to face in life, and you know you're going to go through it because there are things everybody goes through. You just haven't done it yet. Right? But you, you, you know that you'll, I mean, think of all types of uh, things that, you know, everybody, everybody goes through. And, you know, you don't look forward to it. You don't welcome it. But you know that, uh, that sooner or later, these things are going to happen to you. Right? Except for people that get divorced, most, most married couples... One of them has to, has to bury the other one. It's a terrible thing. Every married couple, someplace in the back of their head, you don't like to think about it, but you know one day this is going to come. Am I going to go? Is she going to go first? Who's going to be there to... You don't want to think about it, but you know that your parents did it. You know that every married couple you know, that made it to the finish line, at least, that every married couple goes through that, you know, when that day comes, if, if, if you're the one that's destined to, to outlive the spouse, that you'll, somehow you'll have to do it. You'll go through it, you'll do it. People bury a parent. So, you know, there are tests and there are challenges and there are pains that you know you're bound to suffer. 
You don't welcome it, but you know that you have the capacity to go through it. So this idea in the Ramban that, that tests, that tests somehow either bring out your power through desperation or bring out your power through confidence, through that knowledge that you have that you can do something even though you haven't done it yet, which is different than what, it's a different spin on what the Ramban says in the Perush Torah, because the Perush Torah is, you don't even know that you had it in you. Right? There are things that you, you discover you're capable of uh, only when you're tested. And the things you know you're capable of, you've just never yet been put to the test. Yes, sir, I'm sorry, you were going to say something in the back. I don't think you may have answered. I was just, you know, you say that the test is a notice to the world Mm-hmm. That's the Rambam. What is the message? In the case of the Akeda? Yeah. Uh, again, like I said, I think what the Rambam is saying, these are my words, not the Rambam's. You can look back on the Rambam more carefully. But I think what the Rambam is saying is the message is something about the framework of, of being a, a Yorei Hashem and an Ohev Hashem in a world of mitzvot. That we are Chayalim and he is the Nifaked. We are the soldiers and he is the commander. And when commanded, we act. And we have that, we have that faith, we have that leap of faith that, uh, that all of his commands are just. Even if they seem at the moment to us unjust, which no doubt it did to Avraham when he got the command. And that's the point the Rambam makes where part of the test was to say, you know what, mull it over for three days while you're walking to Har HaMoriah. So when you get there, you'll really be, don't, I don't want you to do it as an automaton. I want you to do it if you've had a real good chance to think it through so that when you actually pick up the knife and do it, it'll be really clear to you that this is crazy. But yet as a, as a mitzvah, as a commanded worshiper of God, aye aye captain. You don't you don't accept that's what the Rambam is saying, or you don't accept the Rambam? I, I, I've heard another thing from the Rambam, comple- completely almost the opposite of that. Yes, which was? Uh, which is that um, first of all, there's angels here, and Avram, and Rambam didn't hold of angels, so he explains this whole thing going on in Avram's mind. This whole Akeda story is going on in uh, his mind. And it's a debate whether to be obedient, completely obedient to God, even when it seems unjust and immoral, mm-hmm. or whether he can trust his own moral judgment. And the idea that the ram at the end is, is an, an, actually an unbinding of Yitzchak. Right, no, but the ram at the end and, is and, only and, after... And therefore, and therefore, his final conclusion is that if something seems... I have to trust who I am and who, what my moral, moral morality tells me, and 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 that—that's how you know. That's an interpretation I heard. Okay, that's fine, but that's not what the Rambam is saying here in the Mornavuch. No, but he's maybe he's, there's other points in the Mornavuch okay. where he's talking about it. Another another point to, uh, to, to strengthen this thing is like I think anybody, any any human being who has experienced being a father. To a child, and if that child was somehow in uh, in danger of life and death, I think every father pretty much would say, "Take me, don't take him. I'll be the sacrifice. If it's a if it's a bank robber or whatever, kill right, me, yes. don't kill him." Where's Abraham on this one? He doesn't he doesn't offer the smallest the smallest incentive to God or the smallest reasoning to say. Maybe we can do this some other way. It's like there is no attempt at all nothing. to argue with God, and as you pointed out, but in the, in in the footsteps of other Mephorshim, in every other situation, he's going to bat for the for the no good nicks and stone. Right, right. It sharpens the question. Exactly. Right? And again, here he's commanded to do something. There he's a bystander. Right. Right. The Nitziv says the following. And this comes back to what you were saying a moment ago, sir, about the definition of nace. The Nitziv, a long time after. It's interesting how we're all influenced by the people we learn with. This daf mikorot could have... Rabbi Bravender prepared a shir for tonight. It's a different shir, different mikorot, different topic. 
But these sources could have just as easily been on his. his he's, he's continually reminded us of the importance of, well, of Rashi, of course, as the first step in, in, any, in any attempt to understand uh, Chumash, but of, of the Ramban and the Nitziv. These two figures who were so different, who lived in such different times, in different places, in different societies, in different eras, but yet were, were often motivated by very similar, by very similar um, instincts. So the Nitziv writes, Afagav she'en ha-mikra yotzei midei pshuto, shu inyan nisayon, u'kidichtiv ha-shem tzadik yivchon. That's a posik in Tehillim. It's a posik in Tehillim, Tehillim Perik Yudalef. The Ramban had also quoted that posuk. The Ramban had also quoted that posuk. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu tests Tzadikim. The Einlan, right? So the, the, pshat of the, the pshat of the posuk is God is testing Avram. The Einlan Alitka showed Lama lo Lashem Hanisayon. Hayodea kol mirosh. Shehu hu shelat yidiya v'chira asher sagva midat enoshi v'lanu ladat this is the major philosophical problem of the contradiction between, between Yediyah and Bahira. If God knows everything Merosh, how do yet we still have free will? Right? In other words, if, if God knows whether I'm going to spill this cup of water over Tzvi, right? so how do, he knows what's going to happen in three seconds. Right? So how do I have free will? Because he's seen the end of the movie. Right? So he knows whether or not I'm going to do it, since it's all written out. So this is a major philosophical problem, which many have written on, and the Rambam gave his answers to, and it's not our topic tonight. But the idea that God's knowledge is so far beyond our own is categorically different. That when we say that God knows something, it's not the same as saying we know something. Right? you know that a moment ago I held that cup above his head. Right? How do you know it? That's an epistemological question because you saw it, you witnessed it, you have some kind of <coughs> evidence-based knowledge. But that's not how God knows things. So this contradiction is resolved by saying that God's knowledge and our knowledge are, are categorically different, but again, not our topic. nisayon. <laughs> Now he quotes a midrash. Another posuk from Tehillim, Perek Samech. Tehillim it says that God gives a nes. What's a nes? Not a miracle, but a, a banner, a flag. He gives the, the fearers of God, he gives his team, but who are the Yirei Hashem? That's God's team. Right? He gives them a flag to wave. Hainu, higbiu al nes. That a nes is, a nes is not a, a miracle in, uh, you know, in a kind of, um, you know, like in our childhood sense of it, but it's, it's, it's a banner. It's meant to broadcast something. Who does that remind you of? Whose position is that? That the Nisayon raises up, like you raise the flag, it raises the person up to achieve great things. The Ramban. They're the first Ramban. The Ramban al-Atur. Ukfar him shilu chazal bevreshit rabbah. Inyan nisayon b'shlosha mishali. So the Midrash brings three parables for what a nes is. And you'll see it fits in with the three positions we've seen. The two positions of the Ramban and the Ramban. Aleph. B'kterash ha-konem minakesh al-kedera tova you go to the shuk to buy a, a clay pot, which we don't do so much of anymore. 
But in the old days, earthenware was, you know, the... It was what we call chad pami. Right? You know, you're having all the company for yantif. You go, you buy all that chad pami. Right? It's cheap, it's easy, you don't have to do the dishes, you throw it away. So, okay. let's use a more contemporary metaphor. You go to the Best Buy, you have to buy a new refrigerator, which we had to do at some point. So you go into the showroom. So if you know, like if you're like an educated consumer that looked in Consumer Reports and you know the value of what you're getting and you know the quality of this brand versus that brand and this motor versus that motor, so you know what you're talking about and you're not going to get swindled. But if you're an idiot like me, so you don't know anything. You figure, you know, well, like a white refrigerator is better than a green refrigerator because that's the kind we used to have when I was a kid when all the refrigerators were white. Right? So you get swindled. So you go into the showroom and the, and the, the, uh, the seller says, this baby here, solid. And I believe him. And I buy the refrigerator. But what do, what's the only thing I know? That he banged on the door. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> most refrigerator doors can, can withstand a little banging. But I don't know anything at all about the motor, and I don't know anything at all about, you know, the, uh, the... I don't even know what it is that I don't know about. Like all that stuff back there. You know, it's like the equivalent of going to the used car lot. Right? So I could look under the hood, but since I don't know what I'm looking at, it doesn't matter. But what, is the, what does the used car salesman do? He, he kicks the tires. So that's a good car. Right? It's a way of like showing the quality of, of what you're doing. So you take, a, you take the, the, the seller, uh, you want to you show the guy that it's a solid, like a melon in the, in the market, you tap on it to, to hear if it's, if it's fresh. So the seller taps on the, on the, on the pot as a way of showing it's a state. It doesn't have cracks in it. This is our pots are really good, right? When you go to the store and you want to buy like a Ramon, you know, so sometimes you buy a Ramon, uh, a pomegranate, you get home, you open it up and the seeds are all mushy and they're brown and they're yucky and they're whatever. So sometimes like in the shuk, they'll take one big, nice, juicy rimon and they'll slice it open and it'll look beautiful and red and every seed looks juicy. So you say, oh, these are good rimonim. So you buy a rimon. But what do you know? Like, what's the only thing you really know? The that the rimon that he sliced open, the one that you're not going to buy, that it's good and ripe and juicy. But the ones that you're buying, which may have been sitting there, you know, for four days, right? So you're taking it on faith. So you tap on the, on the Kadeira, you tap on the pot that can withstand the tapping. Because you only test something if you think it'll pass the test. The second mashal. The second mashal. Al pishtan tov makin harbei v'chol shemakin yoter mashpiach mashenokein pishtan ra. If you have pishtan, if you have uh, cloth fibers, let's say a rug, you go to buy a you go to buy a rug, a carpet, right? So if, if you whack on it, what does it do? It improves the quality of the product. It gets the dirt out, it makes it cleaner, it makes it better. It could be that the example in the Mishnah, again, a topic I don't really understand because we don't live in that kind of world. It could be that when, when making, uh, when taking pishtan, taking flax and weaving it into fibers, in order to, uh, in order to, then to weave it into clothing, that in the process of of uh, weaving it, that when you when you whack on it a bit, it it strengthens the it strengthens the the fibers. But take my metaphor of the of the rug. By beating on the rug, you you you're improving it. You're bringing out its qualities. You're bringing out its colors. The rug is it's, it's in the shuk. It gets dusty. It gets dirty, right? 
by by whacking it with the what do you call that thing? The, the rug beater, right? So so the dust goes out, and you see how beautiful it is. You see how bright the colors are. But a bad rug, if you do that, what's going to happen? The whole thing is going to come apart. All the threads are going to come apart. And finally, Gimel al Chamor Tov Mosifim Masui Harbe Umavchinim Ulaisa Odioter. You have a donkey. And you have to get all of your stuff from here to there. So sometimes you can load up the donkey. You have like a sense of how much the donkey can hold. And if you have a need, you can push it further. Even though you always know there's a danger that you're going to add the straw that breaks the donkey's back. It'd be better if the example in the Midrash was a camel, right? At a certain point, there's a law of diminishing returns. If you put too much on the poor animal, you break your donkey, and then you're, then you're donkeyless. These three Mishalim in the Midrash line up with the three positions of the Rishonim. They're, they're metaphors for the positions that we've seen. They're, of course, they're of course others. The case of the pottery is like the Rambam. You bang on the good pot because you know it can withstand the test. The refrigerator man bangs on the door because he knows it's not going to do any damage to the door. In that case, it's not a perfect... My metaphor isn't perfect because it, uh, it implies a, a bit of um, the used car salesman metaphor of, uh, you know, we always assume they're trying to trick us. The, you know, they're, they're showing us one thing while hiding some, some other defect. Uh, but in the case of the pot, you only bang on a pot which can withstand the banging, and then it notifies the sellers that this is a quality product. Ki ata hodati. We can make known the quality of our products. We can make known the quality of Avraham Avinu to the world. Uh, I'm, I'll, I'll listen to you all night long if you want. I just want to finish what we're doing now for, for everyone else. The only, the only question I have, and it's not the question itself, it's about a question. If I have a question on a specific thing that you just said, and you say, wait, let me finish everything else and then come back to it. Yeah. A, I either have to be occupied for the next five minutes to remember my question, or... We can lend you a pen. I have. Okay, so then it's not a problem. The case, of the, the case of the pishtan, the case of the carpet, is like the Ramban ala Torah. The point of the Ramban ala Torah is that it brings out the potential. That's a beautiful carpet. It's got beautiful colors in it. We just don't know it because they're covered up by the dirt. So if the carpet can withstand the beating, it's worth doing it to bring out the potential, to bring out the colors, to bring out the true qualities. And the case of the donkey is like the Torah to Adam, is like the Ramban, the second Ramban. That sometimes when put to the test, out of desperation, you can achieve something. You're loading down this, this animal, this beast, right? Even though, if you don't do it properly, it could, it could be destroyed, it could be broken. And sometimes that sense of desperation is what gets the animal moving to get from point A to point B. And sometimes we have to be put in that position of being, being desperate in order, to, in order to achieve. There's a final point which I'll, which I'll abbreviate. But you have on this other sheet uh, a, a page, it's the last page of an essay by Rabbi Soloveitchik called Majesty and Humility. You can download the whole essay. It just, you know, the journal tradition, the long-standing journal uh, tradition, uh, where Rabbi Salvage published a lot of a lot of his uh, important essays. Uh, they just opened up the archives of the whole journal, 50 years worth of archives, at that website at traditiononline.org. This essay is, of course, there there as well. Here, in an essay about majesty and humility, about these kind of contradictory or dialectic poles in the human personality, that on one hand we are but an inch away from God himself, on the other hand we're no better than the beasts of the field. That's the, that's the paradox of humanity, that we're both angels and beasts, 
And we overcome that paradox through an act of, there's, a, there's another essay called catharsis, uh, that sense of purifying ourselves, of exercising a certain amount of control over ourselves, over our intellects, over our desires, over our passions. And he calls this the act of self-defeat. That we want something, and unlike the lion, and unlike Tyrannosaurus Rex, we can't always have what we want. If you're a lion and you want the antelope, if you're a human being, sometimes you have to rein in your desires. What was the most precious at the bottom of page 36? What was the most precious possession of Avraham? With what was he concerned the most? With Yitzchak. Because the son meant so much to him, God instructed him to retreat, to give the son away. What of the ordinary person? This is an extraordinary demand. Then he gives some examples of none of us, no one else in history was ever asked to do what Avraham, what Avraham did. But each and every one of us, in some phase of our life, has to exercise this self-defeat, has to exercise this, this putting the command above, above, above ourselves. What, and then just skip ahead to the, towards the end of the essay, what happens after man makes this movement of recoil and retreats? God may instruct him to resume his march to victory and move onward in conquest and triumph. The movement of recoil redeems the forward movement and the readiness to accept defeat purges the uncontrollable lust for victory. Once man has listened and retreated, he may later be instructed to march straight to victory. Avram was told to withdraw and to defeat himself by giving Yitzchak away. He listened. God accepted Yitzchak, but not re- did not retain him. God returned him to Avraham. Avraham found victory in retreat. That the point of the Akedah, the point of the Akedah was not so much to uh, let Avraham know something about himself, nor was it to let the, the position of the Ramban. Nor was it to let the world know something about this new enterprise that Avram and God had set up together. Right? Nor was it to bring out something to put Avram's back up against the wall. Well, maybe, maybe there is something there. But it was to embed this idea of self-defeat. It's a contradiction, right? As, 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 as you pointed out. It's this terrible contradiction, and it's a terrible moral contradiction. It's an unimaginable moral contradiction. (coughs) But it puts Avram to the test in that he has to be prepared to sacrifice not just his son, that alone would be enough, but everything he had worked for, everything that God had promised him. No one else was ever asked, no one else was ever put to that test. No one else was ever asked to do such a thing. But imprinted on the collective conscious from the beginning of the nation is this idea of self-defeat, that we purify ourselves, we elevate ourselves through the kind of self-defeat. That's what halacha is, right? As opposed to other religions that say there are human urges and their desires that are inherently wrong. That is not the halachic worldview. That is not the Jewish worldview. It's to say that all human desires, since we were created this way, since God created us with these urges, these passions, these desires, these drives, for lust, for, for, for companionship, for food, for, for etc. Judaism does not have an ascetic drive. There have been very few ascetic movements within Judaism and they've, all, they've never entered the mainstream. The Rambam in particular was terribly anti-ascetic. This idea that, that uh, it'd be better to, to live a, a, a life of a monk. Because Judaism is about accepting the fact that yes, we need lunch. But it can be done in a way where it's sanctified 
right? By putting these parameters around it, by, by self-defeat, by saying you can have lunch, but it doesn't mean you can eat everything, right? The sexual drive is something very, very healthy, but it doesn't mean that you can go out and be with whomever you want, whenever you want. That's the act of self-defeat that the halacha impresses upon us. And that's the akedah as this, as this inaugural event in the life of the Jewish nation to impress this idea of self-defeat in, uh, in, into, into the common collective. These are some thoughts on the akedah. There are many more, and I'm happy to stay and talk with whomever you want. I promise you, next week, Rabbi Bravender will be back, and he'll be much more well-equipped to handle all of your questions than was I. Uh, thank you for uh, bearing with me, and Shabbat Shalom.